0: morning. Uh, happy Sunday. Uh, uh, James and myself, I'm uh, Jamal Mays, and this is James Mays, and we're going to bring you the scripture for today. So um, the scripture for today will come from Proverbs uh, 3rd chapter 1 through 12 verse, as well as Hebrew 12, 1 through 13. So if you want to follow along with us, uh, your Old Testament reading will be on again on page 450. Again, that's 4.50, and your New Testament reading will begin on page 8.52, and James will repeat it again when, when it's time to, to transition. So as I hear the music of pages just turning and people following, I'll give you just a second. And to those fathers, happy Father's Day. and it reads, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, then you will win favor and good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not to and lean, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight do not be wise in your own eyes fear the lord and shun evil this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones honor the lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops then Your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. And we'll transition to page 852.
1: Good morning. Good morning. The New Testament reading is Hebrews 12, uh, 1 through 13, and it will be on page 852 in your Bibles. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with the endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such a hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son who he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline if you are left without discipline in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons besides this we have had earthly fathers who have disciplined us and we respected them shall we not much be, shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed as it seemed best to them but he disciplines us for our own good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness But to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The word of the Lord.
2: Jay and James, thank you. I trust as you heard the word of God read, that will feed you. The words you heard today were truth, so good for us. Uh, what we know to be so true is that fathers, not just mothers, but fathers play a critical role in our development, in our families, in everything, our emotional, our physical, our spiritual walk. Fathers, you know it's so true. There's a book that came out recently called Father's Need. Cal Pruitt, a psychologist, at eight weeks, we know that there's a distinguishing difference between fathers and And mothers and infants can pick up on that. Teenagers, too. We need fathers all through our life. And the scripture that we read today. Especially from the book of Proverbs. The first seven chapters are written from fathers to their sons. And so, encouragement to you who are um, fathers, too. If you would like to read the Proverbs to your to your sons and to to walk through what it means to be a godly man in this age. To the first seven chapters of Proverbs are excellent for us to read too. But I want to pay your attention also to a verse that James read to in Book of Hebrews chapter twelve. So good for us to just think about today as we celebrate Father's Day and and God's leading in our life. Here it is. It's an endurance. It's an endurance race, and for those of us who are learning to be godly, it's good for us to remember that this is a race that is, it is a long, long race to be walked and to be done together. Endurance with the race that is set before us. But also in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems to be painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, good for us to also remember this prayer is, uh, as we celebrate Father's Day too. The Lord's Prayer. It's, uh, let's say it together, shall we? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And thy love will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we do. Would you please come forward for a morning offering? Thank you. Uh,
3: if I haven't met you, uh, my name is Ryan, and um, I'm just part of the family here at the Humble Patch Chapel here in Stuttgart. Um, I'll take this. Okay. Okay. If you would please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, uh, we continue in our summer series on Ephesians. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, where, where Paul teaches us what's on his heart for prayer. And it's in Ephesians 3 14 through 21 that is it's this this ultimate prayer. This is the model for Pauline prayer. So as, as you're turning to Ephesians three, fourteen through twenty-one, I, I want to begin with a with a huge confession. And that's this: I have struggled my whole life with, with prayer. Not knowing what to pray not knowing how to pray. I mean, going to Bible college and seminary and and still feeling like I don't know how to do it. Is anybody with me here? Okay. Those of you that smile like this, and you you get it. It's this thing like, how do I wrap my mind around it? How do we do it? And as I I think about my life, too, and, and you little ones in here, if I could go back and be a kid again, I would learn how to pray. I would learn some real, deep, meaningful, biblical, scriptural prayer. But when I look back at it, I, I think about, like, I've prayed my whole life. Dear God, thank you for this food. Help it to be healthy and nourishing to my bodies. Amen. And when I'm praying for something else, I'm actually praying that prayer. And when I'm praying, sometimes I'm falling asleep. And then it just, and, and it took it took some non-believers in my life to say, hey, why do you, why do you pray like that? Really? You got to pray for God to be with you? Isn't he with you? Like, these are non-believers saying these things. You got to pray to have a good time. You pray for smooth flights. You pray for good grades. Like, even non-believers know there's something missing in those prayers. Now, of course, of course, in the scriptures, we're supposed to bring all of our requests to God. Everything. Like a little child asking his father for everything and anything. We know that. But if you were like me, there's something deep down inside saying there's, there's something missing. This is not deep. These prayers aren't God-focused or kingdom-focused. They're really self-centered. And as much as I love you, I don't want to pray for your aunts, cousins, uncles, husbands, brothers' toothache. I, I don't. I'm not putting that down. But I'm just saying I want to pray for you. I want to know you. Something that's also changed within regards to prayer in my life is I don't pray for other people now as much as I pray for myself to be the conduit of grace, mercy, and peace from God through me to that person. Does that make sense? Like I don't pray for my wife anymore more than I pray for myself to allow God to express himself and love my wife through me right now i'm not praying for you know my neighbors really noisy would you and this is not true if my neighbors are in here i have neighbors in here jeremy (laughs) i have wonderful neighbors and we live on the top floor so nobody bothers us anyways but if there were people above us instead of saying lord would you pray for that you name it upstairs it would be lord how about i pray for me how do you want to express yourself to my neighbor through me okay you can use my voice my attitude everything you see, see the difference now? I'm no longer praying for people. I'm praying for myself so that the person that I'm praying for can experience God in and through me. So this has been rad, a radical shift in my prayer life. And then I read this passage, and this was a game changer. Uh, if, I think if you're being honest, you'd be like, man, I, I, I really resonate with what Ryan's saying. And, and, and for, the, for the children in here, too, if you can teach yourself how to pray according to the scriptures, it will change your life. And it will change the way we witness to others, too. When people say, hey, can you pray for me? It would be, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, sure, I got, I got it. And if you're like me, I, I never really followed up with that, but it would be, all right, let's, let's pray. And I'm praying, for, I'm praying for your strength. I'm praying for your inner strength. I'm praying for that you would know Christ. I'm praying that you would be filled with the fullness of God. These things are deep, meaningful, impactful prayers. Uh, Every time I get together with with, uh, Eric, with Pastor Eric, um, we talk about you. In a good way. In a good way. And uh, one of the things we talk about is how, what we are, our desire for you as your pastors. um, And it's this. It was exactly this. This is our desire for ourselves and for you. So... It's just, a, it's just a prayer. And, and it, it goes something like this. This is my prayer for Patch Community Chapel. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, regardless of your ethnicity, in heaven on earth is named. That you would be strengthened with power through his spirit. And then that Christ would dwell in your hearts, through faith. And not only that, but I pray that that you would be rooted and firmly established in love so that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints in here what is the width and length, the height and depth of Christ's love, and that you would know, experientially know, Christ's love that surpasses all knowledge. And finally, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that has worked within us, to him be glory and power in the church and in Christ Jesus to every generation forever and ever. Amen. That's our passage. That's our prayer That is the the deepest desire in our hearts for ourselves and for you and for your families. We hear from time to time, your confessions, what's weighing on your heart. And my favorite, my favorite, favorite thing about being a chaplain is not only that I'm a Navy chaplain, which is pretty awesome, but the chaplains in the DOD have been empowered with confidentiality, not the kind that doctors have, psychologists have, nurses have, lawyers have. It is ultimate, not that MFLIX have. Everybody is a mandated reporter, so you disclose your deepest, darkest secrets to these professionals, and by law, they have to report what you say. That, to me, always rubbed me the wrong way, and then I said, well, wh- well why would I go into my deepest, darkest then? If you're, if you're telling me, now, there is a place for all that, but my favorite thing about being a chaplain is that my ears are graves where anybody can bury their problems and begin healing. That means they can cross the line from 99% known to, oh, my gosh, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm now I'm jumping into fully known, and that's where true healing happens, when we no longer hide, but when we step into that mess and we say, Jesus, you, if, you, if you're the Savior then you, this better be true because I'm stepping into something and I'm going to disclose something that I could lose everything. I could lose my reputation. I could lose what people think about me. I could lose my job. I could lose this. I'm stepping into it and being fully known. So I take that and I, I advise the command based on facts, disclosed to me in confidence. And if someone put a gun to my head, I still wouldn't tell them what you told me. My ears are graves or you can bury your problems and begin healing. I love I love that part, being a part of the healing process, being part of the healing of God's church. And I've met far too many people who let me all the way in to know that there could be someone else who's not like the rest of us, so we can all just come together because we truly live in a me-too world. Once you start confessing sin to one another and struggles, the more you do that, the less you talk about religion and politics and all these easy things that it's easy to talk about because the more I talk about those things, I don't have to talk about what I don't want to talk about. The hard, courageous things are the things we struggle with in our hearts. And when we pray for strength in your inner being, it's the strength and courage to step out of those fears and into the light. And the light exposes darkness and it always kills whatever darkness it touches. You step into the light as Jesus is in the light you're going to experience some, some healing. You're going to experience Christ. So that's 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 our passage. I invite you to open your Bibles. So if you open them now to e- Ephesians 3, I like to hear like the onion paper, the rustling of the, the word. As much as our taxpayers have paid for those pew Bibles, please bring your own, own Bibles here. Please bring your own Bibles, and and mark them up, open them, get the pages wrinkly and dirty. So let's, in, in the short amount of time we have, let's break down this prayer verse by verse, line by line, precept upon precept, and, and let it work in and through us. We're praying that this passage would become true for us today. Now, now one of the things we have to do, I'll just rewind uh, uh Pastor Kelly spoke last week about the previous passage in Ephesians 3, and before that, Pastor Eric spoke about unity in Christ, and we've just been going chapter by chapter through this wonderful book. But I'd like to ask you, who, who wrote it? Who was it written to? Where was he when he wrote it? We have to ask all these questions whenever we read a book, because he didn't write it to people in 2023 in Stuttgart, Germany. Honestly, that's... before it's for us, we have to say, who is the original audience? Okay, so so Paul is writing this from, oops, from Rome. This is what I imagine. He's writing this from Rome. You notice what's on his hands? What's on Paul's hands here? Shackles, and he's shackled to a to a Roman guard. Wait a minute. First thing I thought of is how is he writing? So maybe he was shackled like this, maybe one hand was shackled, we don't really know. We know he was shackled to a guard, imprisoned in Rome, in an apartment or a house that he was renting, and he had a lot of visitors. So just to, just to back up here, he, Paul had two imprisonments here. That when we read the scriptures, he was imprisoned in a house for two years in Rome, and then later on he gets busted again, framed, or whatever you want to call it, and now he's in this place in Rome. By the Colosseum or the Flavian Amphitheater, called the Mamertine Prison, it's a dark dungeon. But when you compare the two, when you compare the two imprisonments, it's very fascinating. One, he's pretty, he's pretty relaxed and, and chill and happy, because he's living, he's living good. The second one, he's not living so good. It's in a dungeon. But as you comb the scriptures, um, in, in Acts 28, he spends two years in his prison, and then he writes the prison epistle epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Okay. He writes these epistles. So he's super productive as he's in prison. In Paul's prayer, he never prays, Lord, would you, would you please speed up my sentence? He does, he's, he's totally not self-centered in his prayer. His prayer is outward focus. Inward focus to change his own heart, but outward focus on other people's eternal kingdom-based things. In the first imprisonment, he was accused by the Jews of heresy, and he said, hey, you started a riot, so whatever they could, whatever they could to, well, and what's was true, he did start a riot because people did not like challenging the status quo. There was thousands of years of tradition, and any time you step on someone's tradition, they get really upset because they don't want you to touch their tradition, they don't like change, so they threw, his, they threw his, him in prison. Okay, what's going on around the time is there's local sporadic persecutions, but, but Paul was living pretty good in living quarters. He was visited by his friends in jail, and we're not talking about behind a glass, they were, they were hanging out. So you imagine that guard that's chained to Paul, he heard a lot of good gospel stories. He heard of a lot of reports, and uh, there's many opportunities for Christian witness. And then Paul talks about, you see it in Philippians, he's optimistic that he's, he's I'm going to be with you soon, I'm going to get out. He's very optimistic. In his second imprisonment, in the Mamertine prison, he, he's, he knows his time is near. He's like, I, I'm, I'm probably going to die in here. I'm an old man, I'm, I'm the least of all the apostles, and this is it. But his tone is still encouraging. His tone is still encouraging. So this is what it would have, what have a rendition of what it would look like uh, a couple thousand years ago, and then this is uh, last week. So here's Kyler there looking at And I didn't know, I didn't see this picture before, but I just thought, like, I'll take this picture. And it, it seems like it's the same exact place. So we, we went to Rome and uh, just did a little tour of, of our own of our, for, our, for our family, and I walked around and we talked about... Um, Talked about Rome and what Paul would have seen. And once you see the biblical lands here, and children, just to know, there's a lot of people that are going to tell you that, that uh, this is fictitious or it's fake, but the places are still there. These are real places. And according to Jewish oral tradition, which is way more accurate than anything we have today as far as preserving history and rabbinical people passing down their teaching to their, uh, to their pupils... Uh, The the preservation of history in the New Testament is 99.99% accurate, way more accurate than we know that we have Abraham Lincoln's original speech or what he originally said in his Gettysburg Address. I mean, there's, there's tons of books on this. If you read a book by Josh McDowell called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, there's so much evidence that it demands a verdict. So that one was free. I just threw that in there. The Bible is a historically reliable document. I think this is what it would have looked like. He's chained to a, to a guard. His friends are visiting him. He, they're, they're telling stories, and they're, they're in true fellowship, sharing what's going on. Hey, so tell me what's going on back in, back in Ephesus, this modern-day Turkey. Yeah, so here's what happened. Um, you know, th- This guy, he, he, he opened his house, and people are starting to get set free. And chains are falling off. People are being healed, mentally, physically, spiritually. And you can imagine what's going on in this little prison cell. House arrest. Here, as, as, uh, as you tour Rome and you look throughout the city, there is these places, these little apartments called insulas. And I looked up an article on what an insula is. They're all over the city. Um, this is an apartment. This is a picture of an apartment from the 1st and 2nd century, roughly during the time of Paul's imprisonment. These types of quarters were called insula, and they're literally everywhere in Rome. And they, they're, they're, rent, they're places that you rent. And Paul would have lived here for the two years of his house arrest. Uh, the book of Acts refers to Paul's time under this house arrest as amazingly productive. He's writing, he's writing books as he's chained to someone. And uh, because these were everywhere in Rome, we can understand why. Onesiphorus struggled to find Paul in the city. That's 2 Timothy 1.7. And how easy it was for Onesimus, the slave in, Phile- in, um, in Philemon, to run away and hide. Because these, these were everywhere. So you could hide. Now, I'm not sure if this is exactly where Paul was living when he was in prison. But it's pretty cool that, that this stuff is still there today. You can see this. This is on the main strip there by all, where all the buses are. Here's another view of it. Okay, so that's the context. I wanted to paint what's going on um, as as Paul is is writing this. Okay? Now look what he says here. As we look at this prayer, there are certain principles that that Paul his his deepest desire for people. Okay, it's about five things. And when 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 I read my Bible and I write my Bible, I always put a box around the verbs. And because, because I'm, I'm, an, I'm an English nerd and, I, and I, I taught English before, I underlined the nominative case, I squiggly underlined the genitive case, uh, the dative case I put in parentheses, and you can see, you can see my Bible is just, it's it's just covered with with parsing. But what the reason why I do this, and I encourage people to do this, is because when you put a box around all the verbs, you see exactly what God was telling you to do. You can see what the author is telling the people to do, and you can see what action words need to be applied in your life. If you want to apply the Bible, put a box around all the verbs, and you begin to see the major themes in the passage. A cool little trick that I learned a long time ago. Okay, so uh, the first thing we see here, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Whenever you see the word for this reason, it's always there for a reason. So here's the answer. Open book test. Look at the previous two verses. See how easy that was? Well, if you ever want to find out what the Bible is saying, the Bible is the best commentary for the Bible. You rewind to verse 13. He says this, So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions, because he's in prison, and they're kind of discouraged, over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. So he says we have boldness and confidence, access through faith in him. Guys, don't be bummed out. Yes, I'm in prison, but for that reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So bowing your knees before the Father, maybe it would look like this. Maybe it would be two knees. Maybe you would bowing his head, but he's showing true submission. Like, yeah, these guys arrested him, but this is true submission to the Father. This is where submission is. From whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Why, was he, why would he say that? From every family in heaven on earth is named. Well, if you rewind, the context here is, and uh, uh, Pastor Kelly preached on this last week, and then before that, Pastor Eric preached on unity in Christ. And you'll see here in verses, um, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, he talks about there's no more Jews, no more Gentile. Now you have citizens and saints. Citizens and saints. How appropriate is this for today when there's so much identity put in um, ethnicity and in the, the level of melanin in our skin, which I have no idea what it means when someone says, yeah, brown, black. Well, I have no idea what that means. And no matter how much I ask people, is that referring to a color, a mindset, an accent, a geographical location? What, what does it mean? Nobody knows what it means. I, nobody said, this is what it means. What about my friend who's 10% this and, and 90% this and 1% this? And... But for Paul, look at this. Every family in heaven and on earth is named by their true father in heaven. No more Jew, no more Gentile. Stop seeing each other through these ethnic lines and see citizens and saints. Saints or ain'ts. People who find their identity in Christ. That's true identity. That's true identity. And when we see ourselves as bearers of the image of God, the imago Dei, then all this other stuff, this worldly flesh, these these behaviors that tear us apart, they kind of disappear. Because if I see you as as an image bearer, uh, then I'm going to treat you like an image bearer. If If I see you as a child of God, I'm going to treat you like a child of God. Verse 16, I... Pray. Well, my version says I pray, but in the original language, it doesn't say I pray. It just says he's bowing. He says that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory. This is the first request. This is the first box that I have here. To be strengthened with power in your inner being. To be strengthened with power in your inner being. You could be strong on the outside, which I know a lot of people who are. I mean, we're we're in the military. We're we're told you have to work out so much. In the Navy, it's at least once a month. Just kidding. In the Marines, three times a day. Okay, so you can be strong on the outside, but if you're not strong on the inside, you're not strong. You, you You could bench 400 pounds, but if there's things that are keeping you hidden and unknown... You're not strong. See, there's this there's this tension between outward strength and inward strength. And in the military, it's so easy to get caught up into oh, look at that guy. That's a leader. That guy's strong. He stands tall, he speaks confidently, it's all these things, but but we're not really talking about what's going on internally. Every time I read the Navy crimes, I'm sorry, the Navy Times or the Army Times or the Marine Corps Times or all these all these times. It's, it's people who got busted, not because they weren't physically strong, ever. It's because mental, it's, it, it was the inward battle that got them. And because they have no friends, and by design they have no friends, isolation was not the worst thing they did, but it was how they did all the worst things. Because they weren't strong inwardly. How do we work out inwardly? Here, here's, here's how I get in my reps and sets in on inward strength. Confession and repentance in the midst of a community. I could do confession all day in my closet. No problem. You start putting a person in front of me, that's, what, that's when I'm going to have to flex hard. I don't care how fearless. I see YouTubes of people jumping off bridges with squirrel suits and flying through. These guys are fearless. No, they're not fearless. Sometimes they're just kind of crazy. But what fearless is, is, man, I'm sitting in this small group. <sighs> I'm going to say what I did. I'm going to confess my sin. That is true courage, children. If you could make this a habit of, of confessing what's really going on inside, and these things won't gain momentum in your life. There's a lot of people. They, they're 50, 60, 70 years old and have never made this a practice to confess. And I've, I've sat in different groups, AA groups, recovery groups, and it's wonderful. When people sit in a circle and they say, here's where I am, here's where I am, here's what I'm struggling with, here's what I'm struggling with, and everybody's doing the same thing. They're confessing. They're, be, they're being met where they're at. For some reason, the church turned into, I'm going to wear my best shirt, my best pants, amen, hallelujah, I'm not struggling with anything. Everything's great. The, the church shouldn't be like that. Mike Donahue from 10th Avenue North wrote a song, what if the church looked like more like an AA meeting? I think that would be wonderful. A place where we can come in and just be completely real with each other. That's inner strength. That's inner strength. That's what I pray for you. That's what I pray for me. Outward strength is cool. It's, it's. Paul says it's worth something. It's, it's cool. It's cool. I, I'm, I'm so glad that Stuttgart has the best sports in all of, all of Germany. Our wrestling team's the most dominant. Our basketball team. Our baseball. All these, we're winning. But we want that to match what's going on inside. Man, those people are fearless. Man, the people at patch chapler They just, they confess things like it's no big deal. That's what we should be known for. And not hiding behind anything. Not hiding behind anything. Okay, so that's the first thing that's on Paul's mind. Inner strength through his spirit. Through his spirit, not our spirit. It's through his spirit. Here's the second request. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He may dwell in your hearts through faith. Where, where's your heart? Can anybody point to your heart? Now, some of you are doing this, but this is the blood-pumping organ called the heart. But the heart, with well, the way the Greeks called it, the cardia, is not the physical blood-pumping organ, but it's the deepest part of your inner being. It's your soul. Your, your heart is made of your mind, your will, and emotions. A cardiologist is a, is a doctor of the heart. But the word here is cardia, that you may... Uh, that, that Christ, where am I at here? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So He may dwell in the innermost depths of our being, that He's there. And being rooted and firmly established in love, here's the third request. Here's the third thing I boxed. You may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth. Depth of what? Christ's love. But look at this word here. This is key. That you may be able to comprehend. That is, uh, it's a Greek word that means you be able to grasp. Grasp it. Comprehend. But look at here. This is my favorite part. With all the saints. So as we contemplate the things of God, as we contemplate truths, um, we're supposed to do it together. There's very few things where we're supposed to do Alone. If you look up the word one another, it's all throughout the tri- scriptures. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to confess sins one to another. We're supposed to mourn with one another. We, this summer was pretty crazy with a lot of, a lot of deaths. I mean, it, was, it was like, right, Erica, like three weeks in a row, like, hey, this, my mother-in-law died, my father-in-law died, my mother-in-law died, and, and it, was, it was a lot of death. And what we're called to do is mourn, Together. We're supposed to be joined at the hip during all these sad times and good times and do it together. We're supposed to do it together as a a community. So third thing here, uh, able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height. And the fourth thing, to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. To know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. This whole thing is about Christ's love. Um, what does it mean, Christ's love? What, what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love Christ? If you look at Jesus, this is, this is pretty interesting here. Jesus defines what love is here. John chapter 14, verse 15. He's speaking to his disciples, and he says this. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love God, you will keep his commands. Some people have this theology where they say, well, if you're really saved, you would love. No, that's not, that's not true. It's not what it says. It never says that in the scriptures. Your love, your obedience to God is an indication of your love, not the fact whether or not you're a child of God, because you can be a child of God and be a disobedient child. But in, in the 80s and 90s, we started saying, oh, you're, I don't see any fruit in your life. You're not saved. And that thing gained a lot of momentum. From the 80s on, it was this, this type of theology that everybody started to question and not their salvation. And that's not true. If, if you want to know if you love God, it's through obedience. What do you call a, a child who only does what his father says? Say again? Yeah, compliant, obedient. Well, what's, it's Jesus. Look at Jesus. John chapter 8 Verse 29, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. That's Jesus. Jesus loves, so he obeys. I would even go so far to say as Jesus didn't go to the cross for any other reason but to please the Father. And I know this because in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Hey, God, is there a plan B? Is there any other way? And then he ends by saying, not my will, but your will. I will go to the cross to please the Father. Maybe our whole life should be about pleasing the Father. Don't do it for anybody else, but to please the Father. Okay, as we keep moving here, we're going to wrap this up. To know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that here's the, here's the main point. This is the culmination of this prayer. Before the culmination, here's five characteristics. Spiritual strength in your inner being. Two, that you would have the indwelling of Christ in your hearts. That your heart would be a place where Christ would call home. So whatever's there that doesn't need to be there needs to come out. (coughs) Confession. Third thing in this prayer, comprehension. Comprehending uh truth but doing it together this is why we gather for um, an experiential knowledge to know christ the word here for to know christ ginosko is an experiential knowledge it's the same word used for when a husband and wife get married and then they know each other That's, that's the depth of this word that's the intimacy of this word and that you would experience God's love would mean you do it in community. Here's how, here's how you're going to experience the greatest love here on earth as it is in heaven. When you stand before someone else, could be your spouse, it could, could be a friend, and you let them know something so deep, so dark, so hurtful, and you make yourself vulnerable and you step out there, and then they love you in return and don't judge you, Now you have gnosco knowledge of God's love. And our worst fear is that when we tell people things, when we let them know what's going on inside our true struggles, is that they go, oh, and they reject us. That's the greatest fear for for people is rejection. But when we trust God, we step into that and we begin to experience. And then you do it once, and then you do it twice, and then you do it three times, and then you end up like my friend Bill who says, this is awesome. This confession thing is pretty cool. I, I'm, getting, I'm getting used to it. It's actually fun. It's fun to experience God's love when you put yourself out there and then you go, wait a minute, you're not going to judge me? So many times I'll be sitting across a person and they go, okay, so they drop the bomb. The roof, the roof caved in and they go, well, so what do you think? What do you think about me? I go, dude, do you feel any judgment coming from me right now? Do you feel anything other than love? And I put my hand on their shoulder if it's appropriate. And I go, how does it feel to be free for the first time? Man. And then they might say something like, man, it's been 30 years. I haven't cried in 30 years. You've now experienced the love of God. Experiential knowledge. And then here is the main thing. The prayer ends with this. The requests end with this. That they may be filled with the fullness of God. Patch, chapel, this is, this is us To you. This is us to us. We pray that you'd be filled with the fullness of God. In the scriptures, whatever fills a person is controlling them. When the bad guys were filled with wrath, they tried to kill Jesus. When Jesus was filled with love and filled with the Spirit in Luke 4, he did whatever the Spirit told him to do. This is it. This is it. So, and then... The verse, there's no more prayer requests, but then 20 and 21 is his doxology. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we could ask or imagine, according to the power that has worked within us, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church to every generation. Now and forever. Amen. What we do now affects the next generation. And as we, look upon, as we look back to our families, there are some things that my grandpa did that my dad wanted to break. My grandpa was very uh, mean and abusive to my dad, and my dad hated that. And he says, I'm going to break that. But there's still, some sins get passed down. So some certain things that I see in my father that were in my house, I go, I want to break that. And as generation goes to generation to generation, we can break these familial patterns or generational curses, for lack of a better word, and we can get closer and closer to what God intended here on earth as it is in heaven. And we can look at our past and say, all right, to the next generation, to the next generation, we're going to, have, we're going to manifest the glory of God, which is what glory means, God's manifested presence in our lives. So that's our prayer. Our prayer. For you, Pastor Chapel. Imagine, imagine what our what our congregation would look like if, if these were our prayers every day. Next time you pray, um, challenge yourself. Challenge the status quo of the prayer that we've been taught, the prayers we've been taught since we were children up until now, and say, Am I doing a self-centered prayer or a Christ-centered prayer? Am I doing Am I, am I praying for something shallow or am I praying for something super deep and eternal like things like this, like inner strength, and knowing Christ and the fullness, being filled to the fullness of God? I think it's uh, appropriate. Um, I'm going to end with, I'm going to play a song on the guitar. Um, and if, if anybody wants to sing with me, you can. And in this time, let's let's make this a time of, of worshiping God through through song um, and, and you, could, you could do it however you want if you if you feel like you want to stand and sing uh, we're going to put the lyrics up here, then, then do that um, if you if you feel like you want to kneel and, and journal and, and whatever God has been putting on your heart during this uh, message, then, then do that. Uh, But let this be a time where where you uh, go into go into worship. Father, we thank you. We thank you for teaching us what true prayer is and what your desire is for us. So, Lord, we pray that we would experience a strengthening of our inner man, that we would know experientially the love of Christ, the height, the width, the depth, the length of your love for us, Father, we pray that be rooted and, and established in love so that other people would see that and praise you. And lastly, Father, we, we pray that as we continue to gather in fellowship, that we would be filled, filled with the fullness of God. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.